0: It's my great pleasure to introduce this morning's guest speaker, a woman that I truly admire. I have worked with her. I have been a co-student with her. I have seen her life transformation. I know that she is a woman of wisdom, that she lives this teaching. She's a fabulous teacher. If you've taken a class from her, you know that. She is also a health professional, a physical therapist, for many years working in our community. Please welcome a woman of wisdom, our own Reverend Connie Nissen. Okay, so let's have some of that wisdom pour through us all this morning. Join me in consciousness. First by becoming aware of something that we're all doing right now, and that's breathing. Breathing. So take a deep breath. Allow yourself to become aware of this breath. Become aware of how gentle and easily and generously it is given and how the body accepts it and utilizes it and takes it throughout the entire body. And allow yourself to feel a sense of peace as you take your next breath. And allow that feeling of peace and generosity to magnify itself ten times over so that that peace just fully engulfs every part and particle of your being. And then let that breath be magnified again ten times more so that it extends beyond you the peace, the serenity, the generosity and the givingness of life extends beyond the physical form of your body into the space around you you can do that you can make it get bigger in your mind's eye and take another breath and feel that feeling and allow yourself to magnify it a hundred times over so that it spreads even further into our community and into our world bringing that sense of peace and unconditional love and the generosity of spirit into the lives of many into our world, that we may bring a conscious awareness of the goodness that life is. For that is what we are here for, to remember, to honor, to recognize that there is only one life. It is God's life, it is my life, it is the life I am living right here and right now. It self-existent it is self-creative it is self-propelling it knows it grows it expands through and by means of each and every one of us i call it good and i call it very very good this day as i see the sun pour its light and its warmth upon this earth as i breathe the air as i embody the life that surrounds me in the grass and the trees and the flowers that bloom so I claim this day as a day of great awakening and becoming I claim this moment as the only moment that there is that I turn my attention inward and place my focus on that spark of divinity within and as I do so that spark becomes a flame a roaring flame of intuition and creativity and passion and inspiration and it radiates through me and from me touching everything that i do everywhere i go even before i get there enhancing the lives of everyone i meet and those i have yet to meet for i know that spirit had a perfect idea and its perfect idea was you and it was me and it was everything that we see and everything that we don't see it's everything that we feel everything that we know and everything we don't know yet and so i'm thankful i'm thankful that this spark this divine spark of inspiration has brought me to this place that has brought many volunteers to this place to make this day possible our musicians our youth workers our greeters our ushers our bookstore people our sound people And all of you who volunteer yourself in consciousness this day to open your heart and open your mind to be that one. With great thanks, I release these words and let them be and let them grow and expand. And so it is. Okay well welcome welcome to everyone who is here for the first time this week and everyone who is here for the first time ever i'm so glad to be back in edmonton and be with you all today i'd like to begin with a story and you'll get the idea that this isn't a typical new thought story because this is the story of father o'shaughnessy And it was after serving for 25 years in the same parish that Father O'Shaughnessy was saying his farewells at his retirement dinner. An eminent member of the congregation, a leading politician, had been asked to make a presentation and give a short speech, but he was late in arriving. So the priest took it upon himself to fill the time and stood up at the microphone. Father O'Shaughnessy remembers... He says, I remember the first confession. That's your second clue that this is not a new thought story. (laughs) He says, I remember the first confession I heard 25 years ago, and it worried me as to what sort of place I'd come to. That first confession remains the worst I have ever heard, he says. The chap confessed that he'd stolen a TV set from a neighbor and lied to the police about it when questioned and blamed a local 'er ne'er-do-well for the crime. He said that he'd stolen money from his parents and his employer, that he'd had affairs with several of his friends' wives, that he had taken hard drugs, and that he had done unspeakable things to his sister. You can imagine what I thought, says Father O'Shaughnessy. However, he says, I'm pleased to say that as the days passed, I soon realized that this sad fellow was a frightful exception and that this parish was indeed a wonderful place full of kind and generous people. It was at this point that the politician arrived and apologized for being late. And he was keen to take the stage and he immediately stepped up to the microphone and pulled his speech from his pocket. He began his remembering. He says, I'll always remember when Father O'Shaughnessy first came to our parish, said the politician. In fact, he says, I'm pretty certain that I was the first person in the parish (laughs) that he heard confession with. (laughs) Oh, my. The things we don't know. My talk today is called Waking to Reality, and uh, I've just come back last night, as a matter of fact, from two weeks of vacation on Vancouver Island. And I thought, well, after two weeks of vacation with family, I probably... Am I'm very much aware of a reality that maybe I wasn't as awake to before and I recognize that there are you know things that we know there are things that we think we know there are things we know that we definitely don't know and then there's that realm of things that we have no idea we don't even know about so we don't even know we know or don't know there's many levels of knowing that's the point Ernest Holmes, in the last book that he wrote, it was called The Voice Celestial. And he co-wrote it with his brother Fenwick. And it was really a poem. And it was uh, really about the spiritual journey. And one of the characters is the fairer. And the fairer really wants to know. And Holmes writes as the fairer, I know that poets, seers, and those they call the avatars, or embodiments of God, declare they know by other means that there exists another world beyond. They say it was revealed to them, or to another who stood behind another whom they knew. The mystery, they say, has been unsealed unto a chosen few. But I would like to know what I can know myself. I crave to know the meaning of great words, I ask that life may be defined. And what is love? Perchance, I can grasp a key that opens up the door for myself, unveil the mysteries, or I may hear a voice beyond Earth's hearing or see a presence which shall reveal to me. I think that's what we all want. I think that's why we're here. But the fairer laments, Perhaps I myself am the Sphinx, the dumb unblinking stone that broods but does not think. Oh God, if there be one, oh soul of souls, I cannot bear the hollowness and pain that fill my heart with loneliness and grief. How can I bear the emptiness of ignorance? I want to know, and know I know. I want to know. And no, I know. When I was uh, visiting with my son, I flew there to Comox on Vancouver Island and um, rented a car. But one day, um, it wasn't convenient for me to take the rental car and I wanted to go somewhere. So he says, well, you know, take mine. And Nick got himself his uncompromising vehicle about a year ago uh, the one that met his needs perfectly Um, he's an outdoors guy he likes to go off road he likes to go up to the top of the mountain in the winter time for snowboarding he carries a lot of stuff with him he didn't want a luxury vehicle but he needed a real practical working suv and he bought himself an a toyota fj cruiser so when I was thinking about, okay, I could take his car, that's great, or truck, or whatever we call it. And then I started thinking, oh, it's a standard. And I haven't driven a standard on a regular basis for quite some time. And so my, my mind started thinking about remembering how to drive a standard. And then uh, Nick says, you know, this has a big engine, it has a lot of power, mom, as soon as you step on that pedal, it's going to go. And I thought, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> dealing with a clutch and lots of power. <laughs> and then he says to me, there's lots of blind spots in this vehicle too, Mom, so you really have to use the mirrors when you're driving. I thought, oh, great, something else to really think about, you know. And then he says, you know, backing up might be a little challenging. Why don't you just park in places where you don't have to back up? And I thought, oh, I've been driving, you know, twice as long as he has at least, and here he is telling me how to drive and not drive. And but, you know, when I... I got in that vehicle and we had to adjust the seat cause he's over six feet and I'm like just barely over five and got me all settled in and my foot, my left foot reached for that clutch. And it was like the beloved had found its mate, you know? <laughs> 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 and I put my hand on that stick shift, you know, and it was like everything in my world was right and perfect again, and I just, you know, stepped on the gas, and away we went, and I didn't stall once. I backed up perfectly when I needed to. You know, it was just, it was heaven. It was a lovely, lovely experience driving the FJ, and I had a great time, and I came back, and he's like, how was it? And I'm like, oh, I loved it. It was so, e- it was so easy to drive, and, and I just remembered, you know, because there's something in us that just remember sometimes but when we try to wrap our head around the how-tos we get all tangled up but when we just let that which is known to us come through it does the job holmes wrote now because i was on holidays and i flew i couldn't take very many books with me so i took one Ernest Holmes book with me and it was the essential Ernest Holmes which is the, the book for the class that I'm teaching starting in September so it was like you know doing my pre-reading and uh, so that's where a lot of inspiration came for today's talk. Holmes said that it is the divine spark that impregnates everything and is buried in everything and it contains within itself the upward push of evolution. This evolutionary process impels things upward and onward from lower to higher levels of intelligence. And it is occasioned because everything has within it that intelligence as unconscious or subconscious memory. So that divine spark, it's not our intellect so much, uh, but it's the spirit in our heart, the spirit that cannot be analyzed and dissected, that is just present within us that we tap into, that wants to be expressed through us. Every spark, the spark in you, the spark in me, it's alike, it comes from that divine cosmic stuff. But yet, no two of us are identical, no two sparks are identical. There's unity amongst us, but no uniformity. We're not all expressing the same. We each have a unique presentation of the cosmic whole, that seeks expression through us. I really enjoyed uh, the time that I got to spend with my son these past two weeks. And one of the greatest joys for me as a parent is to watch the evolution of my children. And reflecting on Holmes' words of the divine spark and the unique presentation of it within us, I find it really interesting to see how someone sprung from similar genetic material evolves and and comes into themselves in life. And I think the, the biggest, well, one of the examples for me was the kitchen discussion that I had with Nick. Now, some background for those that you don't know. Nick is the oldest of my three children, and he's the only one that's left home. He left home about six years ago. Five years ago, he joined the military, so he hasn't even been in the same province, let alone city, for all that time. And he's had to set up house many times. He's moved around a little bit even in in this short span of time. So he's had to set up houses and homes for himself several times. So when I arrived in Comox, it was the first time I'd been in this home with him. And uh, he gave the tour, you know, was very proud to show us his home and... uh, And everything that he has acquired and how he set it up. And we got to the kitchen and he's planted himself firmly there. And he says, Mom, don't you move a thing. (laughs) I knew where this was sort of coming from. You see... um uh, Nick says, you know, I've, I've got everything where I, I, I like it, where I want it, and don't move anything. And, and I just sort of had this, you know, quick reflection back of, of some of the different places where Nick has lived. And, uh, and I remembered the very first apartment he moved into while he was still in Edmonton. And it was his space, and I didn't invade it too often, but I did have to go over there occasionally. And, um, and when I did, and if I looked in the kitchen, I would find all of his dishes... And and none of them matched, I've got to say, in the couple of pots that he had. Uh, Everything and his food were all on the kitchen counter. And when you opened up the kitchen cupboards, they were empty. And so I'm going like, "Mm -hmm," you know. (laughs) But, you know, didn't say too much. You know, it's his place. That's fine. Then he uh, lived in um, singles quarters when he was doing his training. And he broke his ankle. And I went out to spend a few days with him while he was kind of a little hazy from the drugs after surgery. And he was kind of lying around sleeping a lot. So I spent my time kind of, because this happened quite unexpectedly, of course. So I kind of, you know, went in and kind of cleaned up his place a little bit and got it ready for him so he didn't have to do too much while he was on crutches and, you know, did some baking and put some things in the freezer for him. And inevitably, I guess I moved a few things around in the kitchen. And so when he came to... and couldn't find anything in his kitchen. You know, I got this verbal berating about, Mom, you moved things in my kitchen, I can't find. Now, it wasn't a very big kitchen, so I'm not really sure why he couldn't find anything, but so be it. The next house was in Newfoundland, and we went out there to visit him one summer for a while, and again, got the tour of the kitchen, and uh, he he was like, you know don't move anything mom. I'm like, okay. But it wasn't a really very well organized kitchen. It didn't really make sense where he put things, you know. And, and he wanted me to do lots of baking. He had this, he bought this house from somebody. And of course, everybody in Newfoundland keeps a rifle in their living room. And, and, and they, you know, hunt moose and things like that. So everybody has this huge deep freeze you know, to, to store the meat and whatnot. So he bought this house with this huge deep freeze and he wanted it filled with all the comfort foods that moms are good for making. And he, he, had, he didn't have the pots or the dishes. He didn't have all the stuff that we needed. So we had to go out and buy stuff. And we had to find room in the kitchen. So of course everything moved. And so there again, I changed his kitchen. So this time he says, Mom, I've got everything where I want it, and it works, and he explained to me, he showed me where everything was and why it was there, you know, the dishes right above the dishwasher, makes sense, cutlery drawer right beside the dishwasher, baking stuff, you know, right beside the stove, coffee and tea right beside the coffee maker and kettle. Like, it was very well laid out. It was well stocked. He had, you know, good equipment and utensils. It was a very workable kitchen. I was like, Nick, this is great. I really saw how he had evolved in setting up a kitchen you know it was really one and I said you know it's great I even had to go and buy him some oven mitts there's a thing about buying oven mitts for each other and uh, and then he says where did you put them and I said right next to the trivets you know the trivets the hot things you put under hot dishes anyway we were all happy with each other and and so it was really delightful to see his growth and evolution Ernest says, life is infinite energy coupled with limitless creative imagination. It is the invisible essence and substance of every visible form. Its nature is goodness, truth, wisdom, beauty, energy, and imagination. Our highest satisfaction comes from a sense of conscious union with this invisible life. I was really starting to sense that with my son. All human endeavor is an attempt to get back to these first principles, to find such an inward wholeness that all sense of fear, doubt, and uncertainty vanishes. Basically, to know, and to know I know. I took my parents with me on this vacation, and fortunately, Nick has always been a favored grandchild in their eyes, so they were quite happy to go there. And he likewise has a soft spot for them, and so he was very accommodating to their needs as, as older people. We had a very low-key vacation to accommodate them, and Nick arranged a perfect work schedule for himself that gave us lots of time together. He's lived in his house for about a year now, and he has lots of little projects you know, that he wants to do to kind of fix it up because he knows inevitably that he'll get transferred again and he'll be selling it. And one of his bigger projects was to convert the carport into a fully enclosed garage. Not because he wanted to put that wonderful vehicle in it, but because he wanted to create a little space where he could put all of his weights for working out and a little workbench where he could do all his little carpentry things that he's learning to do. He had already enclosed it, he had drywalled, he had mudded it, he just needed to sand it, and then he was ready to start painting. And so I said, yes. I could do some painting meditation with you, absolutely. So there we are, painting away on the walls. And I looked down and it's just a cement garage floor. And I said, hmm, you're gonna paint that floor? Knowing that it was gonna be a space for living rather than a vehicle. He said, no, and we kept painting. And then my mother walked in with her walker and sat down watching us, chatting away. She looks at the floor and she says, so what color are you going to paint the garage floor? <laughs> and he said, okay, that does it. I'm painting the garage floor. I don't know why, but I'm painting the garage floor. And we talked about it, and we you know, told him how it would just kind of keep the dust out and keep it clean and more pleasant place for him to work. So on our final days, as we painted the garage floor, and he chuckled about how good it was looking, and he was quite happy. And he told us, he says, you know, the only reason we're doing this is because you and Grandma Baba told me I should paint it. And I said to him, well, Nick, you know, you really wanted to paint it all along. You just didn't know it. (laughs) I said, we simply articulated your desire by our questions to you. He looks at me and he says, so you knew what I was thinking? And of course, I didn't know what he was thinking in the way that he was maybe thinking I'm thinking there's one mind inspiring us all, and we simply just spoke our truth from that place. So he's, you know, painting and rolling the floor and I'm standing there watching him and he pauses and he looks at me and he says, so what am I thinking now? (laughs) Without hesitation, I looked at him, I smiled and I said, a cold beer. (laughs) And he's like, wow, mom! i got to find a woman who can read my mind just like you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, our highest satisfaction comes from a sense of conscious union with this invisible life. I said to him, yes, unfortunately you're going to look for a woman just like me. And when you get over that, find the woman you really want to be with. (laughs) Holmes goes on to say, there is a power that that thinks and makes directly out of itself by simply becoming the thing it makes. And could we grasp this greatest truth about life and realize we are dealing with a principle that is scientifically correct and eternally present, we could accomplish whatever is possible for us to conceive. A power that makes things directly out of itself by simply becoming the thing it makes life externalizes at the level of our thought. That is what we teach in the science of mind. I chose to travel with my parents for very selfish reasons. I really wanted to get out of town and have a change of pace. I really wanted to see my son and his home. And I really did not want to feel guilty or worried about leaving my parents behind in Edmonton because I'm kind of the one that, that helps them out. They are both aging my father is dealing with some fairly severe cognitive delays or losses because of dementia. And my mother is dealing with many physical issues that are slowing her down considerably. In these two weeks with them, I did, I did get a big reality check when I had to live with them 24-7. I thought I could manage. I thought I could manage the memory loss and the repeating barrage of questions from my father about the same things over and over again. I thought I knew how to break simple tasks down, offering step-by-step instructions and a patience willing to repeat it over and over again. He doesn't really retain much new information and so changing him and his environment was was quite a major thing for him. It started when we got to the airport as we were about to leave. I lost him within the first 15 minutes of being there. We had just checked in, got our boarding passes, and we were going to security. I was pushing my mom in a wheelchair just so she could kind of conserve her energy. And my dad, I thought, was right behind me. As we were about to get to security, I looked behind me, and there was no dad. And I'm going like, great, I've lost him already. (laughs) I turned mom around, looked back from where we came. I have to explain that my mother was in the wheelchair, and she's a woman with very, very white hair. And I looked back, and there where we were, Checking in at the little, you know, booth at WestJet was a lady with very white hair sitting in a wheelchair with her family checking in and there was dad standing right with them. (laughs) He almost got it right. Fortunately, that was not an omen for the rest of the trip. It was just an eye-opener and we didn't lose him again. The first few nights were the biggest challenge. He goes to bed early and he wakes up often and quite disoriented He still knows my mom and and, and she's his anchor and he knows that he's supposed to be with her. But he would get up and lose his way to the washroom and lose his way back to his bedroom. So we were all awake a lot those first few nights. He doesn't really remember who I am all the time and he certainly didn't remember who my son was all the time. But he does try to make sense of his world, recovering the sense of communion with the greater that he needs to keep himself safe and secure. He asked how I liked living there. What kind of work did I do? And he thought my son was my husband. Each day we went over these things over and over and over again. It's hard to watch sometimes a man that you've known all your life and to see him in these years of decline. I had hoped that this vacation would give my mom a change and give her a break and give her a little bit of time where she didn't have to be responsible for everything about him. There were a couple of times, though, when I noticed Dad responding almost appropriately to situations. He had dabbled in the stock market and been a stockbroker, probably, well, dabbled since he was age 20 and in his later years worked as a stockbroker. And so he still likes to sit in front of the business network and watch the ticker tape go by. So on the day that the market fell so drastically, and we saw the Dow Jones drop whatever, 500 points, you could just see him livening up and filling up with life and, and excitement and, and almost frothing at the mouth and saying, I've got to get home. I've got to start buying. The market is down. I've got to buy, buy, buy. It's like he hasn't forgotten that <laughs> the second time was when we went out for uh, dinner at the new applebee's restaurant that opened in courtney and um, it was open mic night and they had live singers and musicians singing and playing their guitars and banjos and whatnot and dad played the fiddle from a very early age all the old time polkas and you know kind of songs like that and um As soon as he heard that music, you could just see the life come back into him and he was tapping his feet and his fingers on the table and bopping around and every time a song stopped, he was clapping and cheering and and it was just so appropriate that you could see the things that brought him to life. But no matter how much I think I know, I can still have thoughts of why, why him, why me, why this? Why now? What next? What to do? Here I was with two very important men in my life. One still a bud to me, continuing to grow and blossom and evolve and discover new things about himself and what he's capable of. And the other, who like the rose under glass and beauty and the beast, his petals seeming to fall off one by one and drop. I've seen so much of one and the other right from the day Nick was born. The very first time I saw him, I looked at him and I saw my dad in him. They both joined the military. They even both spent time assigned to the same squadron. They both have similar obsessions. And in their own way, they are both very powerful manifestors. I recognized partway into the first week that I felt still as a grown-up my son such unconditional love for him he's quite independent quite capable of taking care of himself but yet there was i I just couldn't give enough of myself for him we painted i gardened i cooked we talked i read his mind there was that sense of unconditional love there and then with my dad in those first few days it was a real feeling of obligation to care for and I thought, hmm, interesting, interesting paradox, interesting contrast. And then I remembered, I remembered a teacher who once taught me that the very thing we wished we had more of in our family, there's always something, there is always something that we wished we had more of, received more of from our family of origin or the family that raised us. And if you think for a moment, you can think of what that is for you that very thing that we wanted more of and for me it was the feeling of being loved unconditionally and that doesn't mean to say I didn't feel loved it just means that I wish I would have felt unconditionally loved more that that is the very gift that I have come to give Holmes says every day and every hour we are meeting the eternal realities of life And in such degree as we cooperate with these eternal realities, with love, with peace, with wisdom and joy, we are automatically blessed. Our prayer is answered before it is uttered. Asking why my father has Alzheimer's is probably one of the least intelligent questions I could possibly ask. Dad is simply dad. I don't really know need to ask why. What did I do? What did he do? There's no room for blame or shame here. Spirit has created for me at the level of my belief a most cha- what I think sometimes is a most challenging opportunity but an opportunity nonetheless to give unconditional love to my father, yes, who I did not feel unconditionally loved by all of my life. A man who does not have all of his mental facult- faculties fully functioning. But this is his eternal reality in this moment and I feel blessed because every day and every hour we are meeting the eternal realities of life and in, the, and in such degree as I cooperate with them in love in peace and wisdom and in joy I'm automatically blessed my prayers are answered I see it in my son for whom I would not hesitate to give of myself painting and gardening and cooking My prayer, my alignment of my thinking in mind reaches the divine self and a power far greater than any of my human understanding. It senses the unity of good, the completeness of life. And Holmes says that it's at these times when we sense that unity of good and the completeness of life that the veil of doubt is lifted and the face of reality appears. If ever I had doubts about my choices in life, my actions and my motives, I received much clarity and acknowledgement and felt a sense of belonging in this life. And yes, I see the outcome of some of the actions and a glimpse of the evolution through the life of my son. It's in moments like the ones we spent on this vacation together, painting together and working in the yard and cooking, that we often had moments of reflection And this happens to us from time to time when we get together. And Nick was in a reflective mood about the years he spent in competitive swimming and commented about how that stood him so well in the job that he's doing. He's a search and rescue technician for the military. And he has to jump in the cold waters of the Pacific and climb mountains and scuba dive and rescue people off of mountaintops and blizzards and all kinds of very adrenaline-producing activities. (laughs) And we've had this discussion before because it was the fitness level that he achieved from being such an athlete as a junior high and high school student that readied him for entering the military at such a young age. And we've had that talk before, and he says, you know, Mom, it just wasn't that. It's, It's just that all that time I spent swimming and in the pool and getting strong I feel so comfortable in the water. And that is such an asset in the work that I do. He says, if I need to float in the water, I float. If I need to go down, I go down. And if a big wave crashes over me, it doesn't take my breath away. I'm comfortable in the water. And I can't say that about all my colleagues, but it is such a good feeling for me. And I think it's because of all that time that I spent in the water. And I just, you know, had a moment of, of, of accepting that, oh, that's why we did all that. And he acknowledged, he said, you know, you spent a lot of time at that pool, mom. You spent a lot of money putting me there. And I said, yeah, I did. And I don't think about it much. But he acknowledged what it took for that to happen. And it just, in that moment, made everything seem very, very right. Holmes says, the consciousness of the presence... The motivation of love and the feeling of desire to give brings us into alignment with wholeness. Prayer is not used to materialize spirit or spiritualize matter or to influence the lower by the higher. We do not get spiritual just to get God's attention. Science of mind tells us that if we comply with the law, the law complies with us, that as we think, it is done. What we demonstrate today, tomorrow, and the next day is not as important as the tendency which our thought and feeling is taking with us in this moment. The dominant attitude of our mind, if it allows us to express more life, is going to take us in the right direction. I had that sense that everything that I had done up to that point had taken me in the right direction and had allowed others to get in that direction too and I realized that that same unconditional love that I felt for my son was all that I needed for my dad and that here was the father on one hand and the son on the other and me in the middle and if I'm that point where a cycle may be changed or transcended or transformed then so be it I think that's a good enough purpose in life Holmes to end the talk Another quote from the Pharaoh in the voice celestial. The fairer asks, what is the secret? What is the secret key that will unlock the mysteries? And the reply, there is no mystery. For him who knows the mysteries, the big M mysteries, hid in himself the answer lies. For none but self can find or know the self. The goal is not to know, but be. For knowing leads thee to becoming. Becoming what, I ask? Well, now is the time, and you are the one and the only one, to discover for yourself what you are capable of becoming. Thank you for being with me today. Namaste.